Happy Friday to each and every one of you. And I hope you've got a home congregation where you are worshiping and fellowshipping and studying and serving and just being part of the body of Christ uh, with so many other believers in uh, our Lord and Savior. If you do not have a place like that, then you need to find a place and you need to get plugged in and stay plugged in there. If you're looking actively right now and you're within driving distance of the Elkhart East building, please come check us out. Please come introduce yourself. Please come and consider joining in with us in keeping the gospel moving forward uh, into the area around us all. I also want to thank all of you who support Into the Word financially. Make sure that it happens here on this radio station. If there's anyone out there that would like to join in that support effort, then just write down the contact information you'll hear at the end of the program today, and then you can send your one-time or ongoing gift of any amount to that address, and I guarantee you 100% of it will be spent in keeping this program on the radio uh, station that you're hearing it on right now. Thank you for taking care of that logistical need. I want you to join me in 2 Peter chapter number 3. Uh, We've only got a few more verses left in this second letter. Uh, Let me remind you of the historical context for it. Uh, Peter is at Rome, I believe, and I think historically that makes the best sense. Uh, He seems to have moved there after the Apostle Paul uh, was released following his imperial review uh, in 63. So I think Peter probably arrived in the later part of 63. He wrote his first letter back to the people in what we would call Turkey, to let them know that they needed to live the holy lifestyle. And then I am convinced that he wrote a second letter to them a few months later in the beginning of 64 to urge them not to give in to false teachers and into false teaching, to hang in there regardless of such uh, deviant leadership uh, that was um, soaked up in their own physical desires, uh, that all of these believers needed to keep their eyes on the coming day of the Lord when everything sinful was going to be brought under judgment and eventually everything righteous would be fully redeemed. And that lesson uh, is going to be the basis, I think, for some trouble that's coming uh, for the Apostle Peter, because he focuses in that teaching very much on the fact that the current world is scheduled to be burned up. Keep that in your mind uh, after we finish 
a little bit more of uh, the letter of Peter here, because I'll come back to that. So here is the final section of 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you were are waiting for these, that is, for the new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells, uh, the eternity that God always wanted for us in his presence, since you're waiting for that, then be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So we are to be righteous. We are to be holy. We are to be like God, like Jesus. And so Peter says, keep that as your focus. Verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now that goes back to the idea, you know, just because Jesus isn't back in 30 years, don't be worried about that. God's time scale is not our time scale. And here today, as we study this scripture, we'd say it doesn't matter that Jesus has been gone for almost 2,000 years now. That's, that's got nothing to do with God's time scale. God will bring everything to an end once he's given the optimal opportunity for salvation to the people that Jesus died for. So, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, Peter says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So, this is the reason that I've been telling you this whole time through the, our study of First and Second Peter that Peter has been reading Paul's letters because he references them. He is familiar with them. I think he alludes uh, to many of the things that Paul had written in all of his letters up to this point, which are pretty much all of them. Uh, the only one that we haven't uh, seen generated yet in the timeline that we're working on would be 2 Timothy. Uh, but notice that Peter refers to Paul as our beloved brother Paul. He has great affection and respect for this man, who is probably about 15 years younger than himself. And you know that I believe that Peter's right around um, his early 70s at this point. And he describes him as being a wise man, uh, that he has been given God's wisdom. Uh, and then he writes this, verse 16, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. So the Apostle Paul has touched on many of the topics that Peter has touched upon in all his previous letters. Uh, then Peter makes this acknowledgement. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Yeah, they are tough. They can be tough, Peter says which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Uh, let's point out the obvious last thing first, and that is from Peter's 
own pen, he says that Paul's writings are inspired. They are to be held in the same standard as Old Testament Scripture. Uh, And he says then that they also get mistreated by people just like the Old Testament Scripture. And when those people twist them, they do it to their own harm. And so this is one of the reasons that we have to be proper in our approach to Bible study. We don't want to be among the ignorant and unstable who end up twisting these things to our own detriment. We want to understand and absorb these things so that we might have everything we need for life and godliness, just like Peter wrote in his letter. Now, verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. So, you guys are all aware that certain people don't treat the Scripture appropriately. Certain people don't approach God's Word with seriousness, with understanding intention. So, knowing that, you take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So, one of the things that we Bible teachers are always concerned about is that people will get sucked in by false teachers who are not really interested in finding God's truth in the Scripture. They're only interested in finding their own passion, their own excuses to sin in the Scripture. And we don't want people to get sucked into that. And so that's what Peter is saying here too, is don't get sucked in by the false teachers and the false students. Instead, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grow up into that unmerited favor that comes through his death and his resurrection. Grow up into that knowledge that comes through the writings of his apostles and prophets. Grow up into that relationship with Jesus as both Savior, the one that died and rose again, and Lord, the one who now functions as our master and as our intercessor and who will be back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We've got to keep those proper relationships. And then the last thing that Peter writes is kind of a a praise benediction. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So to Jesus belongs all this glory. It belongs to him now. It'll belong to him tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And it most definitely will belong to him when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, accompanied by all his saints and all his angels, and uh, when he will reign forever and ever. Amen to that. Uh, May that be uh, the truth by which we live.
And so uh, Peter finishes up uh, his letter and sends it off. And then something happens. Something happens in history. Uh, as I said, I believe that he wrote these two letters in uh, 63 and 64. In the summer of 64, a fire broke out in the poorest part of the city of Rome, and it went wild. And the, over the next several days, uh, the largest portion of the majority of the neighborhoods of Rome were burned to the ground. They were destroyed. A lot of very big, prominent public buildings. And this, uh, this tragedy was it accompanied by rumors, almost at the very beginning, that the Emperor Nero was involved in this fire. Now, Nero was a young man when he came to the throne. He was still a teenager when he came to the throne. Uh, he's only in his 20s in uh, 64 uh, when all this happened, and he wasn't even in town when it started. Uh, but he had been making plans to give the ancient city of Rome a workover, and he was going to make it kind of more in his image and likeness. It was going to be almost like a Neropolis, a, a Nero city. Uh, and he had grand, glorious plans. But the problem was there were a lot of people living in Rome. Uh, population estimates are, you know, 750,000 to a million people living in the sprawling uh, neighborhoods of Rome. Lots of tenement buildings, multiple stories, uh, densely packed with people, a lot of slaves uh, being part of the population makeup as well. And um, it is hard to rebuild when people are already living long-term in places like that. And so the rumor started that Nero had dispatched some of his people to start these fires in the poorest parts of town, uh, to basically clear all of those slum areas that were mostly made of wood uh, so that he could uh, start fresh. Uh, there were even stories that uh, his people could be seen with blazing torches setting the fires. And so, uh, Nero did come back during the, the days that the fire burned, and he set up some um, uh, places uh, of refuge for the population. He tried to help with the, um, uh, uh, the feeding and, and clothing and housing of these people. Although there is also another story uh, that he performed a little mini uh, song routine, uh, poem, musical poem, that was relating what he was seeing uh, to a past historical event. Uh, I think it was the burning of Troy, 
And so this is where we get this this story that Nero fiddled while while Rome was burning. Um, and uh, that's not exactly what happened, but he definitely uh, was relating it to past historical events that were uh, recorded in musical poems. Um, but eventually, once all the fires were finished and put out, and the actual rebuilding process was started, the rumors that he was to blame just got stronger and stronger. And so eventually, uh, either in the later part of 64 or starting in the beginning of 65, to combat these rumors... Um, Nero began blaming the Christians for the burning of Rome. Uh, now, Christians were making progress into the population. Uh, we know that there were Christians even in high society. But the place where they had the most presence was amongst the slave population and amongst the poorest people uh, living in Rome. So they were inhabitants of the slum areas, a lot of them. Uh, now, you remember I told you that Peter's message, uh, in Second Peter in particular, but a little bit in First Peter, was that the world, the present world, was slated for burning that the present world was going to go up in smoke. And so that particular teaching of the Apostle Peter and other Christians was grabbed onto and used to accuse Christians as being the arsonists who destroyed the ancient city of Rome. And so Nero authorized the arrest and prosecution and then execution of Christians on a very wide scale during the last part of 64, throughout 65 and 66. Uh, and so uh, Peter ended up being arrested during that Neronian persecution. Uh, and because uh, the Christians were already thought of as being kind of weird um, individuals that were estranged from Roman culture because, you know, they didn't worship at multiple gods. Um, and they also had a lot of slaves uh, that mixed with slaveholders, uh, wealthy people with poor people. So it was kind of a weird sort of of um, uh, organization. Uh, they met super early in the morning and they engaged in practices that the common Romans thought were a little weird, like they called each other brother and sister. Uh, and they gave kisses to each other, you know, before and after their get togethers. And the story went around that they ate and drank the body and the blood of their God. And so all of this combined together 
made it fairly easy for this first major government um, persecution of the Christians to take place. Uh, and some of the atrocities, uh, they really pushed uh, cultural norms. Um, it was common practice, understand, for criminals uh, to be put into the arena and fight against professional fighters uh, and give a show uh, to the population as they were being executed. Uh, but when the Christians started being persecuted uh, in or executed in some of these places, they came up with new things to do, such as uh, dressing them up in freshly butchered animal skins and then setting wild animals on them and letting them be torn to pieces. That was kind of new in the arena uh, or in the circus of Nero uh, where these things were happening. Uh, one of the things that uh, Roman historians were quite taken aback by uh, is that Nero had some of these Christians um, chained to posts and doused in um, flammable material like tar or oil and then set a fire as kind of a fitting in to an arsonist to die by fire, uh, but that he would do this at his garden party uh, with people eating and drinking uh, in the presence of these uh, expired Christians uh, that were being burned up for their arsonist tendencies. Uh, so this, this was the environment in which Peter was arrested and tried, and uh, because he was not a Roman citizen, he was executed by crucifixion. And this fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus had given to him that's recorded at the tail end of John's gospel, that when he was older, uh, he would be taken to places where he did not want to go. Others would dress him and his hands would be stretched out. And so Jesus, or Jesus gives him this prophecy of crucifixion. Now, there is a story, and uh, it goes back a long way, but how much truth there is to it, we don't know, that Peter uh, asked that he could be crucified upside down because he did not feel that it would be appropriate for him to die in exactly the same way as his Lord. And so there are... Uh, crosses that represent uh, Peter's upside-down death in that fashion that you should be aware of. Uh, so Peter, I believe, probably was executed in 65, um, and it will be shortly after his death that uh, his companion, John Mark, will uh, release the um, collected preaching stories about Jesus uh, from uh, the lips of the Apostle Peter. 
that is what we know of as the Gospel of Mark today. Uh, and then John will very shortly after that write his own Gospel, and at the tail end of it will say uh, that uh, Jesus correctly uh, prophesied the death of Peter by having his arms stretched out. Now, what else do we know, though? Um, in introduction for where we're going next, which is 2 Timothy, remember that I believe that Paul, having been released from uh, his detention uh, in 63, I believe that he did his little traveling around to uh, Ephesus and uh, to Colossae and up to Phil. Philippi and all those others. I think he did all of that in uh, the later part of 63, and then he uh, went out to Nicopolis on the west side of the um, Attic Peninsula, that is the Greek peninsula of today, and uh, he had told Titus that's where he wanted him to come and meet him. And I fully believe that Paul left from there taking some of his companions, and he went out to Spain in 64. So I believe he was actively ministering in Spain when the Neronian persecutions broke out uh, in the last part of 64, uh, right up into 65. And so my conviction is that eventually... Uh, Paul, hearing about all of this going on back uh, in the middle part of the Mediterranean Basin, I believe he comes back to the same region from which he left, the places where he did most of his ministry. I think he came back to Ephesus uh, either in 65 or perhaps in the early part of 66 itself. And uh, when he comes back, he is very quickly identified as one of the ringleaders of the Christian movement, which was being rounded up for their arson idea, you know, that the world needs to burn and be replaced by God's world. So I believe he was probably arrested and transported off to the city of Rome, and this time is not like the last time. This time he is an enemy of the state, and he is treated as such, and he's thrown into a very nasty uh, jail cell, prison cell, and it is from that cell that he writes his final letter, which we will start on next time we're into God's Word.